We open the scriptures and we will read together two brief passages beginning in the epistle of Paul to Titus, chapter 2. Read the last few verses of the chapter, verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now we turn back to the Gospel according to John, chapter 15. Read a short portion of this chapter, also beginning at verse 11. John 15, verse 11 through verse 17. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends." For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another." The basis of these passages and the rest of God's word, we have the instruction of our catechism. We return to Lord's Day 13, take up the second question and answer, number 34, which asks concerning Jesus Christ, wherefore, that is why, callest thou him our Lord? The answer, because he hath redeemed us, both soul and body, from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, and hath delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus hath made us his own property. Beloved in the Lord It belongs to the ABCs of the Christian faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
So basic and so fundamental is this truth that you can call the Christian faith simply this. It's the faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus is Lord. The confession that Jesus is Lord means that I am not my own. I am not Lord. That is the desire of the human heart that has fallen into sin. That's the perspective of the world, that man will be his own Lord, and man will decide his own life, and man will be in charge of his own destiny. That's what freedom is, after all, so man thinks. But the Christian faith is a very different perspective. The joyful exclamation and confession of the Christian is, I am not my own, but belong to another. I am not my own Lord, but Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone is Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. This was the confession for which the earliest Christians, our spiritual forebearers, suffered so much and were even martyred at the hands of the Roman government under which they they lived. The confession that Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. Do we have the same devotion they did to that truth and confession? Jesus is Lord. That's the teaching of the scriptures that we're going to focus on today through the lens of the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 34. Jesus is Lord. We come to the last of the handful of names that the Catechism explains to us, the names of Jesus that are contained in the second article of the Apostles' Creed. Jesus is Lord, and that name Lord simply means a ruler, a master, a owner. That's what a Lord is. Now, question and answer 34 is going to focus our attention on a very special dimension of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's focusing our attention on his lordship of grace over his elect and redeemed people. Jesus is Lord of all. Question and answer 33 of the Catechism explained to us the name only begotten Son of God. And last time, we took note of the fact that that name reveals the essential deity of Jesus. He is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. Jesus is God, and as God, he has lordship over all things, for he created all things, and to him all things belong. Jesus is also Lord, the man Jesus Christ, in his human nature, he is Lord over all things, as the one who is exalted to the right hand of his Father in heavenly majesty. All authority and power in heaven and earth has been given unto him. And he is Lord over the creation. He is Lord over the nations. He rules over all. And on the last day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But now, what our catechism is especially focusing on is Jesus' lordship over believers. And this is a special kind of lordship. Distinct from his universal lordship, his lordship of power and sovereignty over all things. Over us, his people, he has a lordship of grace. And this is a special relationship he has established with us. As the catechism explains, we call him Lord because he's redeemed us. 
He's taken us to be his own people in a special way. We are his purchased possession. We have become his property. His people upon whom he lavishes all of the benefits merited by his work on the cross. He is Lord over believers in a special way because he has purchased his people with his precious blood. And all of that then goes into our confession, Jesus is Lord. It's a joyful, it's a worshipful, it's a comfort-filled confession that we make. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are not only acknowledging him as our creator and the one who sits upon the throne of the universe, but we are acknowledging him as our redeemer, personally, our master, and our covenant friend. So let's enter into the truth of this question and answer. Our theme is simply this beautiful name of our Savior. Lord. Lord. We're going to notice three things that are implied in the name Lord. First, that Jesus is our Redeemer. Secondly, that he is our Master. And thirdly, he is our Friend. Jesus is our Redeemer. Our Redeemer Lord. Yes, he is our Lord as creator. But when our Lord Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, came in our flesh and performed the saving work God gave him to do, Jehovah's salvation, Jesus became our Lord in a special way. He is our Savior Lord. Our Redeemer Lord. And so we start with that concept, the biblical concept of a redeemer, and we want to answer the question, what is a redeemer? What does it mean to redeem? We can put it simply this way, a redeemer is someone who buys a slave or a prisoner out of their bondage by making a payment for them. That's a redeemer. Someone who graciously buys an unworthy and undeserving slave or prisoner out of their bondage by making a payment for them. A payment that that slave or prisoner could not make himself or herself. To help make this concept clearer for us, let's think about a couple of illustrations. If you went back in history a couple of centuries, you would find that debtors those who owed someone lots of money, debtors who could not pay their debts back, were often subjected to very harsh punishment. You've heard of a debtor's prison, have you not? A debtor who could not pay back his debts could be thrown into a debtor's prison. And there in that dirty, dark prison, he would have to toil away And the little money he would earn from that toil in the debtor's prison would be used to pay for the costs of keeping him in prison, but would also go to the eventual paying off of his debt. And that debtor's prison was miserable bondage for such a person, cut off from family or friends, cut off from all of the good things of life in a dark prison. Misery. But a redeemer for such a poor prisoner, would be a gracious person who of his own wealth 
paid the debtor's debts, thereby securing his release from debtor's prison. And perhaps this gracious person, this redeemer, would even give that debtor, after paying his debt, a job in his own factory or in his own household so that this man, upon getting out of jail, would be able to provide for himself. He would have a respectable occupation. There's the first illustration. A redeemer is someone who pays the debts of another person and thus secures their release from miserable bondage. An illustration that goes back to Bible times is the redemption of a slave. In the apostles' day, as well as in the Old Testament, slavery, though a cruel institution, was very commonplace in the Roman world. In fact, a large portion of the population in the Greco-Roman world consisted of slaves. Those who did not have individual rights, those who were the property of their master, on account of being in debt to their master, or on account of being taken as a prisoner of war, or perhaps other reasons. A slave often labored under cruel bondage in chains. But a redeemer, a redeemer was a person who would pay a ransom price to secure the release of that slave, either so that that slave became a free man, Or that slave was taken into the household of the generous redeemer and given a place and given a job and given work there in the redeemer's household. Now those two illustrations, the generous man who redeems the debt prisoner and the generous man who redeems the poor slave, both of those things illustrate for us this concept of redemption. Jesus is our Redeemer. And we need redemption because our natural spiritual state is like the miserable condition of that man in the debtor's prison or that poor slave toiling under the will of a cruel master. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8 verse 34. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, is the slave of sin. Part of the meaning of those words of our Lord is that's man's natural condition. When man fell into sin, he became the servant of sin. Sin became his master. The devil became his tyrant lord that ruled over man and bends man to his will and torments man. By nature, we are the servants of sin. We are debtors because our sin incurs an incalculably infinite debt against the most high majesty of God. When man fell, his will became enchained to sin such that he lost his ability to will and desire the good. And he can only will and do and desire the evil by nature. He became a slave. Man, by nature, is under the power, the dominion of sin and the devil. He's bound with spiritual chains as really as that poor slave is bound by those iron fetters. He is a prisoner. A prisoner of sin just as much as that debt prisoner in debtor's prison. That's the terrible misery of man. That he is a debtor to the Most High God. And his debt is a debt he can never pay back. 
And thus he deserves to be cast into the eternal debtor's prison, which is not a cruel place, but a place where justice is executed, the eternal debtor's prison that is called hell. And he has justly brought upon himself the misery of his bondage to sin and the tyranny of the devil. Man's misery is that he is subjected to the power of sin and bears the guilt of sin and will suffer the punishment of sin unless his debts can be paid. Man needs a redeemer. A redeemer. A spiritual redeemer who will rescue him from sin. Not just the effects of sin. Yes, there are lots of terrible evils in this world. There is poverty, there is disease, there is war, and those things are bad. We should not minimize that. And part of the great salvation that Jesus Christ brings to his people, is that he rescues us from all evil. But to be rescued from those things, we need to be rescued from the greatest evil sin. A savior who would just end poverty and war and disease would not truly rescue us. Just as the poor man in debtor's prison doesn't really need a good housekeeper to come and clean up his cell, what he needs is someone to get him out of the cell. And a slave doesn't need someone to polish his shackles, but needs someone to release him from the shackles. Someone who will address the root of all of his problems. Someone who will address his greatest evil. And that's... The truth, the wonderful truth that the catechism focuses our attention on at the very start of question and answer 34. Why do we call Jesus Lord? Because Jesus is appointed by God the Father and sent to perform this work. Redeeming us. He hath redeemed us both body and soul from all our sins. Not with gold or silver but with his precious blood. Now connect that with question and answer 33 and you see how wonderful this is. Jesus, who is God the Son, the only begotten Son of the Father, takes upon himself in the greatest act of self-humiliation and undeserved mercy, he takes upon himself our human nature and becomes man, becomes one of us, in order that he may do this for us. Pay for our sins. Redeem us from our bondage and from our debtor's prison. He gives so much that he may give more. He comes to redeem us from our sins. That's what Titus 2 verse 14 says. Summarizes the gospel of our redemption so beautifully The end of verse 13 speaks of the appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And now, as an aside, notice in verse 13, you have a Bible verse that teaches explicitly the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not talking about two different different persons there. The great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. The phrase, and our Savior Jesus Christ, further explains the great God. Jesus Christ is our great God. And our Savior. And this is what he came to do. He gave himself for us. That he might redeem. Redeem us. Buy us back. Buy us out of our bondage. Deliver us from debtor's prison. Redeem us from all of our iniquity. His saving work. Was the greatest purchase. That has ever been performed. 
He purchased you, beloved. You who as a son or a daughter of Adam were the servant, the slave of sin. He purchased you. He purchased you by making a payment. And that payment wasn't made to the devil. Though we, by our sin, have become the friend servants of the devil, subject to his cruel tyranny, no payment was owed to the devil. Jesus Christ, by coming and performing his saving work, destroyed the power of the devil over us. He made payment for our sins, but that payment was made not to Satan. It was made to God the Father. It was a payment made to satisfy the demands of God's justice, to meet the demands of his law. His law, which is right and holy. His law, which says the wages of sin is death. And the eternal debtor's prison of hell is the just reward of the debtor who cannot pay his debts back to the Most High God. Jesus made the payment. He made the payment, Titus 2 verse 14 says, by giving himself, and we all know what that means, giving his life, giving his life to the death of the cross. That is what accomplished our redemption from all iniquity. It was the greatest, most valuable payment ever made, not silver or gold as the catechism says, not with money. Indeed, the heaping treasures of this world, if you were to amass them all, could not take away a cent from the debt that we owe to God. He didn't purchase us with silver or with gold, but with something infinitely precious, his own blood, which he shed upon the cross. He laid down his life to make atonement for sin. The law says the wages of sin is death, and Jesus went to the death of the cross and paid it all, paid your debt in full, Your debt and my debt, the debt of our sins, which our minds cannot fully comprehend. He paid it all, all of it. That giving of his life was a payment of infinite worth, abundantly sufficient to satisfy for all of your sins. And there's an important application here. When Satan who has no more power over you, comes again and he accuses you and he points to how big and how great your sins are. Look to the payment that Jesus made. Infinite in value. Abundantly sufficient to cover every single one of your sins. Jesus' redemptive work pays your debts for you. And then the outcome. As Titus 2.14 says, you're redeemed from all iniquity. Not some, not most, all. Guilt gone. Debts cleared. You are reconciled to God through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Your Redeemer And not only that, that power of sin which held you in its iron grip has been broken. Those shackles have been shattered. You are no longer a servant of sin. But as Romans 6 verse 18 says, in Christ you have been made a servant of righteousness. 
The Christ who died for you ascended and he poured out his spirit and he put his spirit in you. And as long as that spirit of Christ is in you, you cannot be led into complete bondage to sin again. Yes, we stumble. Yes, we fall. Yes, we even grieve the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will not utterly forsake the child of God who has been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. That bondage has been broken. Those shackles loosed. You're free. Sin shall not have dominion over you anymore. Satan shall not tyrannize you anymore. Because Christ is your Redeemer. Because Christ is Lord. He is Lord. As the catechism ends, He has made you His own property. That's exactly what Titus 2 verse 14 is getting at when it says Christ has redeemed us from all iniquity and he's purified us unto himself. That is, taken us for his own. We belong to him. We are his property. And that's the blessed comfort of redemption. The effect, the outcome of redemption is that you and I are both Bound and free. We are freed from the cruel bondage of our sin. But we are not set free now to just be our own thing. To go our own way. It's not that our Redeemer pays the price for us to get out of debtor's prison. And they kick us out of prison onto the streets. And say, well, find your own way. We're free from our old bondage, but now we are bound to our new Lord, our Redeemer Lord, who doesn't free us and then leave us, but frees us and takes us to himself, makes us his property, makes us his servants, makes us his slaves, which is a blessed thing. Who can say slavery to Jesus Christ is bondage when Jesus shed his own blood and gave his own life to take you for his own? That's his love. He's Lord. Because he's redeemed us so that he may bind us to himself forever. We are at the same time perfectly free and fully bound to our Redeemer Lord, Jesus Christ. And that's our comfort. That brings us right back to Lord's Day 1. Lord's Day 13 connects to Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own. I'm not the devil's, but I'm also not my own. But I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Redeemer, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in His hands now. He'll take care of me. He gave His life for me. If He gave His life for me, that means He's not ever going to let me go. This is eternal safety. This is peace. Right now, I have a Redeemer. But now, we're going to focus, secondly, this morning, on an important effect of that redemption. Namely this, that our Redeemer becomes our Master. Our Master. Redemption by the, pl- by the blood of Christ transfers ownership of me. By the fall into sin, I became 
the property of sin, you might say. I was subject to the bondage of sin. I was underneath the power of the devil. But the redemptive work of Jesus Christ has purchased me. Payment has been made to free me from my bonds. And that redemptive work of Jesus Christ now transfers ownership of me. Transfers ownership of my body, my soul, my life, my death, my whole being. From sin and Satan to Christ, my Redeemer Lord. And he is now my master. My master in a special and unique sense. Yes, Jesus is the master of all things because he's the creator. He's God. But now, believing people of God, Jesus is your master in a special way because he shed his blood for you and that blood was the infinitely valuable currency with which he purchased you to be his. His. He's your master now. And what does that mean? It means in the first place, That Jesus has the rule over you, over your life, over your death, over your destiny. Belonging to Jesus means he rules over absolutely everything concerning you. He exercises lordship. He has complete and absolute authority and power over you. That means his will is law. Not your will. Sinful nature wants to kick back against that and says, No, not his will, but my will. The Christian, living out of the Spirit of Christ in him, says, There's nothing more blessed, nothing I want more than for his will to prevail in my life. Because his will is only good. I can see that. And I've experienced that in what he's done for me already. My Lord is my Redeemer who gave himself for me, who suffered the death of the cross to purchase me, to give me life, to bring me to himself, to make me his own property. How can I ever say or think his will is bad? So when we question God's will for us, Think about that. Go back to that redemptive work of your Lord upon the cross. Look at Jesus and what he gave for you. And you'll have the answer to your question. His will is never bad. His will is always good. His will is always right. It's a blessed rule. It's not like our old tyrant's rule. It's a rule of grace. It's a rule that brings him glory, but at the same time brings me the greatest blessedness. It's a rule that is always working to bring me closer, to draw me into his fellowship, to make me conform to his image. The blessed rule of Jesus Christ. He's my master. He rules my life. He commands me. And I want more and more to submit to that blessed rule. In the second place, that Jesus is my master, means he rules my life circumstances. He is sovereign after all. All authority and power belongs to him. Nothing happens apart from his will. But now connect that, connect his sovereignty to his redemptive work for you. If Jesus gave his life to redeem you from all iniquity, if Jesus works by his spirit to purify unto himself you as part of his peculiar people, 
Will he ever let your life circumstances work against or undo that redemptive work he has performed for you? Of course not. Here we see in a very real way how every single life circumstance must be subservient to our salvation. Jesus is Lord. He's my master. And as my master, he rules over me. And as my master, he rules over all of my life circumstances for his good purposes. He's Lord. He's Lord of the storm. The waves and the wind are not Lord. Jesus is Lord and they do his bidding. Whatever happens to you, day by day, he's Lord. Not a single day in your life is the devil's day to have his own way. But every day is the Lord's day in this sense that Jesus rules. And everything that happens to you in that day is directed by the sovereign hand of your Redeemer Lord who is your master. Death. Fear death. Last enemy. Think about death perhaps when we've had sickness. We've had a a risky medical operation. Or we're getting older. Or we're confronted with death because of a tragedy in our family. Death rears its ugly face so often and so many times. But death is not Lord. Death never has its day. Death is defeated. Christ is Lord. And you belong to him in body and soul, in life and in death. Not even death can do anything to truly harm you. Because death is made subservient to the work of your Redeemer. Death can't undo what the Redeemer has done. But death can only serve to bring you into the fuller enjoyment of what is already yours in Christ. Death is your servant. Because death is the servant of Jesus. Jesus is master and Lord of all. Trust him. Rest in him. Therefore, your whole being, body, soul, life, and death is purchased with his precious blood. You are his property. What a truth. Jesus is the best and most faithful steward of all. He's a good steward of all of the property that God places in his hands. He's a good steward of your life, your life circumstances, your death. Never need we question or doubt his wisdom or his goodness or his care. He's our faithful, loving master. It's all in his hands. No better hands to be in. Master. Think about Jesus that way. It's very personal. It's very warm. He's my master. Now there's a calling that comes out of that. It's the second thing I want to consider for a moment in connection with Jesus being our master. There's a calling that arises out of belonging to him. Knowing him as master. The reality that he is master means my life must be different. Because Jesus has redeemed me unto a new life. He is my Lord and master. 
so that I may now live henceforth unto him. Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord and these two belong together and they may never be separated. Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, he accomplishes Jehovah's salvation and he makes himself our Lord and Master in a special way and now as our Savior he exercises Lordship over us and that Lordship of our Savior changes how we live. Titus 2 verse 14 makes that explicit when it says that Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and, and that and is very important, that and is saying you may not stop here, you may not put a period here, you may not split this verse in half, he redeemed us and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous That is eager for, delighting in good works, obedience to his law. We are redeemed unto a sanctified life. We are purchased in order that we may walk in newness of life. We are redeemed unto new obedience and service to our master. That means, don't put the old chains back on. Don't go running back to the old tyrant, the devil. There's no license for sin anymore. There's no excuse for sin. Jesus has set you free. Jesus owns you now. Redemption brings to you renewal. And that's the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of more and more intentionally and by the power of the Spirit yielding myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that I might be conformed to His image. And when I yield myself to Jesus Christ, my life becomes different. My life starts to look like verse 13 of Titus 2. Rather, starting in verse 12. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's the life of the redeemed. We are now servants, servants of Christ. That's a term that the apostles so often use to refer to themselves. For example, Romans 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We're his servants now, and he is our master. And what's the calling of a servant? The calling of a servant is to serve their master, to obey their master, to do what their master says. So when we confess that Christ is Lord, That needs to be more than words that we speak. It needs to be our life. Christ is Lord. He redeemed me. He is master. And now this is how I respond to that. This is how I confess it. With my mouth, yes, but also with a life that is different. A life that is devoted to his service. And that's what I find my greatest joy in. Serving him. Thankfully. For what he's done for me. I'm not my own. 
I belong to him body and soul, life and in death. I'm his property. And so my body, my soul, my earthly life, my spiritual life, all that I have, my time, my treasure, my gifts, it's not for me, it's for him. It's not for me to use as I think best or I desire or what feels good to me, but as his word commands of me. And that's not bondage, that's freedom. Freedom is the blessed service of the master who redeemed me. Made me his own. My hands. Everything I do with my hands. Let it be under the lordship of Christ and for the lordship of Christ. Wherever my feet take me. Let it be under the lordship of my savior and for the glory of my savior. All that I am I owe to thee. My Redeemer Lord. And so there's a call to us this morning. Call is first of all. Delight to serve your master. Contemplate. Redemption. Think about. What you have been saved from. Ponder. What the Savior did to save you. And the spontaneous response that will arise in the believing heart is, I am thy servant, Lord, and I delight to do thy will. Grant me thy grace and spirit that more and more my life may be a living sacrifice of thanks to thee. If there are any among us who don't like the idea of Jesus' lordship over our life, Or who think that salvation by grace means I can just do whatever I want now. Think very carefully about what Titus 2 verse 14 says. Those who will not have Jesus for their Lord cannot have him as their Savior. You may not split those two. If Jesus is your Savior, he will be your Lord. And if he is not your Lord, and if you want nothing to do with him as Lord, he is not your Savior. And so any who despise the Lordship of Jesus Christ, hear the call to repent and to believe in him. Apart from him, you will perish. Turn from your sin. Trust in Christ alone, in whom alone is found salvation from sin. Resting in him, yield to his lordship over your life. Which is fullest joy and perfect freedom. Finally, this morning, we see that our redeemer, our master, is also our friend. And this is the beautiful conclusion to the thought of the catechism. And a truth that we find in the Bible passages that we read this morning. Jesus has redeemed us. And as our Redeemer, He has become our Master. We are His property and we are His servants. But there's more. Jesus has redeemed us to be His friends. Friendship, covenant friendship and life with Him is the ultimate aim and goal of His redemption and of His Lordship. And that's what we read 
in John 15, verse 15, where Jesus says to his disciples and says to his church, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. The ultimate outcome of redemption is that we're brought into the friendship, the everlasting friendship of Jesus Christ. Now, in John 15, verse 15, when Jesus says we aren't servants, or he doesn't call us servants, he's not saying we must not serve him, or that we are not his servants in any sense. That would contradict scripture. As we read earlier, Romans 1.1, Philippians 1.1, the apostle joyfully calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ. The point here in John 15.15 is that we are not merely servants. There's more. And the point is also this. We are not servants in the way that we often think of servants. Among human beings, a servant is someone usually who doesn't matter much to their master. Their master might not even know their name. The master certainly doesn't share his life, his thoughts, his desires, his heart with his servants. His servants are just there to serve him. And the master probably barely even notices them. That's not what it is like between us and Jesus Christ. For Jesus shares his heart with us. Jesus tells us all that the Father has given him to reveal to us. Jesus is our Redeemer, our Master, but also our friend. And that's above all what defines our relationship with Christ. He is our friend sovereign and we are his friend servants. We're slaves of Jesus Christ, but not chattel slaves to be used and discarded. His redemptive work brings us into relationship. Relationship, covenant relationship, a relationship that is modeled after the blessed life of the one triune God within himself. He's redeemed us to be his friends. And the lordship that Jesus exercises over us is a lordship of grace, a covenant lordship, a friendly lordship, you might say. And our service to him is a friendly service. As he exercises lordship and cares for us, he is loving us. And as we serve him, we are responding to his love with our own grateful returns of ardent love. He is the master who is our best, most faithful friend. Greater love hath no man than this, That he give his life for his friends. That's what Jesus has done. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a self-giving Lord. He gave everything to have us for his own. We who can give him nothing in return. And though we serve him, what is our service compared to the service he has rendered to us? You stand in awe? Does your heart fill with love and gratitude? 
Let that love and gratitude fill every word. You confess, Jesus is Lord. Let that love and gratitude prompt a life. A life that is all about showing that Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Faithful God and Father, we thank Thee for this word about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What comfort it gives us. What a blessed calling it sets before us. Comfort us by it and spur us on joyfully, humbly, willingly to live under the Lordship of our Master. Amen.